Hi, today I'll be reading from Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as a member of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. All right, you see the picture up on the screen. And uh, with all the rain that we've been having the last couple of weeks, thank you, God. Um, I'm sure some of you have gotten reacquainted with that machine. Uh, by God's grace, I have zero scape in my front yard and back, so um, no longer do I have to hassle with that frustration, at least uh, in this house that we're in right now. But I was reminded a couple of weeks back by Scott Bolton um, that those machines can be very frustrating. Have you ever heard the phrase, enough to make a preacher cuss? Well, Scott told me this story. He said a little boy was trying to sell a lawnmower. And his preacher walked up and was talked into buying this thing. But before he bought it, the preacher pulled on that rope a couple of times to make sure that the mower would start before they exchanged cash. Not even a spit. Not even a sputter. But the boy told the preacher that he'd have to kick that mower and he'd have to give it a good cussing before it would turn over. To which the preacher said, son, I can't do that. I haven't said a cuss word in years. To which the little boy said, you just keep pulling on that rope and it'll come back to you. (laughs) I know that's an old story, but I love it. If there are situations that I am tempted to cuss in, uh, they usually don't involve difficult machinery. They usually involve difficult people. How about you? Have you noticed that there seems to be quite a few of those difficult people in Kerrville? Yeah, all over. You can't avoid them. Not in any town, not in any school, not at, 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 at any uh, recreational activity that you go to, not at an office that you go to, work for, and not even a church that you go to. And I'm guessing since the problem is not going to go away, maybe what we need to do is to consider how to better handle that problem. And so that's what I hope we'll do for the next five weeks, is to examine eight different scriptures in our New Testament, specifically in the book of Romans chapter 12, because here is a specific text where Paul addresses how to deal with difficult interpersonal relationships. Now, before we look at that, I want to give a couple of observations before we dive in. The first is this. I honestly do believe the majority of our problems are relational in nature. Think about it for a moment. And I think you'll agree that when things are not going well in your life, most of the time it's because a relationship isn't going very well. Now, the opposite is equally true. You can find yourself in some of the most challenging, difficult, trying circumstances. But if your relationships with the people that you're closest to are solid, are good and strong, life is doable. It's okay. I'm telling you, as I look back now over the years of counseling that I've done, having become a vocational minister, 98% of those difficulties stem from folks who are struggling with difficult relationships. Somebody walks in and somebody is singing the somebody's done, somebody wrong song. Have you experienced that when people come to talk to you about things going wrong in, in their life? Second observation. Our major problem is with evil. The majority of our problems seem to be relational, but I think our major problem is with evil. You do have an adversary. 
But that person may not be the one you're thinking about. At work, at some recreational activity, at church, or maybe even sleeping next to you. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now I'm going to put a pause on this for a moment because 98% of the people that I've counseled with who've had those relational problems don't believe that. They really do believe that their conflict is with flesh and blood. The living translation translates that with people. We're not fighting against people, Paul's trying to say. But what we are fighting against are principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, it's true. Satan is going to use people to direct evil at you. However, when you attack your adversary that you're facing, you're really just addressing the symptom and you're not addressing the disease. Because the real enemy in this conflict, in most conflicts, is Satan. That's what Paul's trying to get us to believe. And so because our battle is against evil, our goal is specific as followers of Christ. And that is attack evil with aggressive goodness. I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm not asking you to tolerate it. I'm not asking you to put up with it. But if we're going to overcome evil, Jesus is going to show us in this series of lessons, we will do it with good. Now that's not something even in the church, I think, has a lot of buy-in. But can I remind you in Mark chapter 16 and verse 9, Jesus says, I'm going to build a church that engages the gates of hell. Now that's aggressive language. And he's calling us to an aggressive faith in what he's brought into this world to make a difference against the gates of hell. But to use different weapons. Ah, that's where the rub is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, Paul says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to pull down tremendous strongholds. Wow. Wow. Now, I know as well as any of you here, at first glance, when I am in the middle of a conflict, verbal retaliations and guns look a lot more effective sometimes. Certainly more tempting. But I'm here this morning to try to encourage you that every time Jesus encourages us to do what may sound a little wimpish at first, it's anything but. When he suggests turning the other cheek, that's anything but being a wimp. When he suggests walking a second mile with someone who said, I want you to walk with me, one, that's not being a wimp. Praying for those who persecute you, not being a wimp. You may not believe that now, but I pray with all of my heart and have been praying that by the end of this five weeks, that, that really has been raised in our awareness that that's pretty aggressive. That's pretty courageous stuff to do. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about Jesus. He said, when Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you, his enemies were not distant threats overseas. Now, they followed him around. Probably were listening to him as he spoke those words. Were plotting against him and reporting on him to another set of enemies in Rome. I need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded, church, that our commanding officer has ordered us, listen to me, has ordered us to attack the world 
with goodness. And it's without a doubt through the way of the cross. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 14, Paul's going to write some words that are the basis of this entire series. And I'm going to read them probably the only time in its entirety today. And then just little bits and pieces as we move through this over the next couple of weeks. But let's read these together. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, but you mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another, but don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Here's where it gets tough. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, and as far as it depends on you, you live at peace with everybody. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, you feed him. Oh, went too far. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. Father in heaven, we love you. And we respect those words, but we're going to be honest. We're not quite sure we believe them. We're not. And where we do and where we're trying with that mustard seed of faith in those words that truly good can overcome evil in this world, would you fan that into a brilliant flame for our church? That truly when people think about this church up on the hill, that what they think about are people who are so peaceful and peace-loving and peace-making. We want that for ourselves, God, because that was your son's reputation. I know the Impact Church would like to have that as their reputation as well. For all the disciples that are there today worshiping and praising right along with us, I'm asking that you please pour out your spirit on their services as we do ours here and truly help teach us what it means to be peacemakers, all of us. For we ask us humbly in Jesus' name and everyone said. Put it in a nutshell. For the next five weeks, I'm asking you to join the Peace Corps. How many remember the Peace Corps from the 60s? Well, probably one of the better things to come out of the 60s. Anybody here have a family member that was in the Peace Corps? I'm just curious. No? Anybody know of anybody who was in the Peace Corps? Oh, yeah, a few more. Not, not, a, big, not a big organization, I think, for most of us to have, have heard about or, or rub shoulders with. But I've got to tell you, I, when thinking about a theme for this series, that's, that's the badge that, that came to my mind. And I think if there was any country anywhere who wanted to have as one of its foundational outreach movements two other nations, I think Jesus would have been proud for this one to be in any country. But especially one who called themselves at least some time ago a Christian country. Interesting to find out that under Kennedy's administration when this first came into being, the foundational statement for what they wanted to try to achieve through the Peace Corps was simply this, to bring peace through caring, to bring harmony through helping. Wow. I don't think Jesus could himself want to hope anything more for a country anywhere. 
That they would have a force among themselves. A force to be reckoned with. That wanted to bring about peace through caring. That wanted to bring about harmony through helping. But I know this. It may be unrealistic to hope that that would be true of a country. It's not unrealistic for him to have that hope for his kingdom. And we're going to see that as it unfolds over the next couple of weeks. And so I'm inviting you, church. Would you be a part of... Christ's Peace Corps. Now, I'm going to take verse by verse, but really probably two or three some weekends, and try as best I can to give you five principles over these next five weeks. The first one is this. I've got to remind you, though, it's, I don't know if I skipped something or not. I don't know. Hmm. I guess, I guess I did. My bad. Sometimes that happens. Here's one of the first things that I want to give as a disclaimer. That's what I thought was going to be up there on the board. But I'm going to stay, I'll leave that verse up there because we're going to get to it in a minute. Here's the first disclaimer. This passage in Romans chapter 12, verses 8 through 21, it's for believers, not unbelievers. I'm willing to bet a cup of coffee at Starbucks that most of you this week, if not all of you, ran into somebody who was difficult. Somebody you knew, somebody you didn't know so well, someone at the Walmart, someone at the Croc Center, someone at school, but you ran into someone and for a moment their venom was spewed on you. And not really much for anything that you did. You were just around somebody who was difficult to be around. And you know what I'm finding? That as George Barna is doing one more survey and releasing the, the findings from that, we're finding out that Christianity in America is declining again, significantly. And so should it be any surprise at all that we happen to bump in in our weekly lives to somebody who doesn't grace us when we meet them? The numbers are becoming less and less. And if you think about that, all of a sudden you're thinking about someone who doesn't have an outlet for their guilt, who doesn't have hope for where their future is going, who doesn't have forgiveness for their past. No wonder they're uptight. No wonder they're ready to just blow on anything that just bumps them or nudges them. We're not surprised about that. First disclaimer is what Paul's going to call us to here in this room is for believers. It's not for non-believers. Why? Because here's how Romans 12:1 starts. In view of God's mercies, therefore, and he starts listing these things. For those who have stood under the Niagara Falls of God's grace, here's what we're going to expect of you. For those of you who have been just swamped by the avalanche of God's mercy, here's what we're going to expect of you. You can't really expect that to those who haven't received that kind of grace. Here's the second disclaimer. Maybe I put this one up there. Ah, I just got out of order. Second disclaimer. Here we go. This is not personal. This is personal. It's not national. And what do I mean by that? When you read Romans chapter 12, verses 8 I mean, through 9 through 21 specifically, this is about you and the conflicts you're dealing with, not necessarily nation against nation. Now, I by no means am a pacifist. I absolutely believe that it is appropriate and necessary for a Christian man to serve in our military. I believe it is absolutely appropriate and necessary for, for women to serve in our police force. Because I honestly believe there's a justifiable time and place for people's liberties to be defended by force if need be. I'm not a pacifist. But I want you to know this. I do respect people who are. Highly. 
As a matter of fact, churches of Christ have had a long-standing historical tradition of having pacifists in its fellowship. And that number is growing all over the kingdom. But what becomes problematic is any pacifist who goes to this particular text to justify their position of why a nation can't go to war against another nation. Because this is personal. This is about the conflicts that you and I deal with. Jesus is calling all of us as individuals to join the Peace Corps. And what he's actually saying is, I'd like for you to put to rest some rationalities you've been living with. Oh, I just couldn't help myself. (laughs) I was left with no choice. Jesus is going to say, for everyone who has come to Christ, who's had their sins forgiven and the Spirit to fill them, oh, you always have a choice. Booker T. Washington's statement, I'll never forget, I will not allow myself to be lowered into the position of hating anybody. I like that. And a Christian doesn't have to. Here's the third one. This passage is not for believers. This passage is for believers, not for unbelievers. This passage is personal, not national. And then lastly, it's doable, not hypothetical. And I'm afraid for too many of us, we've kept it in the hypothetical category way too long. Now, maybe on Sunday when we get to heaven, we'll be able to do these things. And, and Paul's saying, no, we can do it because we've been receivers of his mercy. We stood under the avalanche of his grace. And because of that, we can be different in the world, especially when it comes to conflict. Bob Russell was one time preaching on Matthew chapter 5. And in the lesson, he had a paragraph that, that stated this. I know a Jewish man who was persuaded by a Christian to read the New Testament. And he read until he got to this section on the Sermon on the Mount, pray for those who persecute you and do good for those who do evil. But when he got to this text, he had to quit. Not reading anymore. He said the standards of Jesus are too unrealistic. The standards of Jesus are too impossible to keep. And the more I thought about this week, he's right. They are impossible to keep. Unless you're energized by God's grace and filled with His Spirit. That's what Paul tries to say here in Romans chapter 5. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. What a winning combo. The powerful passion, the powerful preciousness of God's love in our lives and the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. That's a full meal deal. I don't care what what the price is. You need to get some of that. God's precious love and His powerful Holy Spirit fills us with hope that we can engage in evil conflict even and know that God is going to do His best good in it. Hmm. Not easy to hear. Remember the song the Beatles sang? All you need is love. La, 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 la. All you need is love. Love. Finish it with me. Love is all you need. I believe that to an extent. I think love really is the answer, that treating somebody how I would like to be treated probably would solve most of our global problems. But love is not a natural human reaction, not to evil. Church, it's not. Love is a supernatural reaction to evil, and it finds its source Only in God. I know that's a heady statement. But brother, if you truly are a Christ follower, please hear this one. This one's even more heady. You have the capacity through the Spirit for supernatural love. 
You do. An out-of-this-world kind of love. The problem with too many of us is that we tend to equate supernatural with the abnormal. But supernatural is supposed, if I read my Bible, to be the new normal in the kingdom. Especially when it comes to supernatural love. In Romans chapter 12, Paul's not saying, this is just for super saints. No, he's saying this is for all the saints of the church. The verses just before the ones we read this morning in context. The verse in 12, 13. It says God's people need to practice hospitality. Now, anybody here not able to do that one? Not able to share what you have with other people? No, that's given for all of us. Well, that precedes these verses we've just read this morning. Here's how it starts in chapter 13, just after these verses. Everybody must submit themselves to the governing authorities. Anybody here don't have to live up to that one? Doesn't have the capacity to live up to that one? No. So you've got before and after where it's all the saints that Paul is calling his people to. And I've got to say, if that's true for before and after, most likely they're in the middle there. That's for everybody. Just because it's challenging doesn't mean I'm, I'm exempt. And they are challenging words. Over the next month, I want to offer you five principles that I think will truly help move you from here today, May 1st. Is it May 1st? May 1st. In five weeks, May 29th, from just being a peace admirer to a part of the peace core. Here's the first priority. Or here is the first value this week. Prioritizing peace. Probably if I ask you to come in today and take our visitor's card and turn it over around the back, I say, list some of your priorities as far as the, the kingdom of God. Not quite sure that peace would be up there. Even though that Paul's going to say a little bit later in Romans, for the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Even though he'll say that a little bit later, peace just isn't something that we have a tendency in the body of Christ anywhere to prioritize. But I hope to change your heart on that. I hope to change your mind on that because, number one, our standard's Jesus. Our standard's Christ. And this is a guy who talked peace. But I tell you, who hear me, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Followers of Christ, he's asking you to do this. Every one of you. To be a part of the Peace Corps. Because he talked peace. But he also walked it. Hear Peter's record. When he says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? So what? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure that, that's commendable before God. Because to this, you were called. To this, you were called. How many were called? If you've been called to this, raise your hand. Okay, we've got two-thirds of the church either not called or sleeping. Or I don't like to raise my hand, Jimmy. Okay. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. But when they hurled insults to him, he didn't retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to those who to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness because by his wounds we've been healed. Yea, God. Jesus mentored mercy. When he asked his disciples to, to, to come go with him, to come follow him, when he asked you, you want in? Here's what I'm, I'm inviting. I'm inviting you to have all of your sins removed. I'm inviting the power of the Holy Spirit to move in. I'm inviting to have your name written permanently in the book of life. I'm inviting you to be a part of the body of Christ. And I'm inviting you to come mentor mercy with me. And convince the world good will triumph over evil. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. One of the reasons that Jesus is calling every single one of you to the Peace Corps is because that's who he was. That's who he was. I think you knew that when you were pledging your allegiance to him. I think you knew that you were pledging your allegiance to someone who at one time in his life got on his back across And the only reason why he did it was because you needed him to do it, not because you deserved it. And he's saying, now I want you to to take up your cross daily and do the same. And I just want to remind us over the next five weeks, this is what he was talking about. This is a huge part of what he was talking about. Being a peacemaker is possible when you remember that our prince is the prince of peace. Here's a number two, another second reason. God is... um, Jesus is our standard, but good is more powerful than evil. That is a truth that's not just asked by God for us to give thought to, but to look into Christ's life and go, is, that, is it truth that good really does triumph over evil? And I'm hoping by the end of this month we say, yep, I'm convinced that truly good triumphs over evil. Now, I know you're going to face some darkness. I know you're going to face some difficult people. Even if you have that belief in your heart. But God's saying, trust me. If you return good for what you receive is evil, you're going to see God handle the darkness. And if there's ever been anybody in our history who helps us see that works, was Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King argued that the way to rid this country of the darkness of racism was not to respond with evil, with just more evil. In Ebenezer, Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. King said, I have seen too much hate to want to hate myself. I have seen hate on the face of too many sheriffs. I have seen hate on the face of too many Klansmen. I have seen hate on the face of too many white citizens in the South to want to hate myself. And every time that I see it, I say to myself, hate is too great a burden to bear for anybody. Somehow, he said, we must be able to stand up before our most bitter opponents and say we shall match your capacity for inflicting suffering with our capacity for enduring it. We will meet your physical force with our soul force. Do to us what you will and we will still love you. He went on to say we cannot 
in all good conscience, obey your unjust laws held together by your unjust system because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as cooperation with good. So throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our neighborhoods at the midnight hour and drag us onto some wayside road leaving us half dead because you've beaten us near half to death and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country to attempt to prove that we are not fit for social integration and we will still love you. But be assured, we will wear you down with our capacity to suffer and one day we will win our freedom and we will not only win freedom for ourselves but we will also win your hearts in the process and that will be a double victory wow that's spirit writing that's a spirit calling a people to not settle for just putting more evil back into the evil that they've received Church, we have got to once again be convinced of the power of good. Let me say that again. We have once again got to be convinced of the power of good. Because if you doubt that, you doubt the power of God. That is the cross in a nutshell. That this evil that was being done up there, that this receiving of that evil that was coming on him could be taken. And from that cross, the words be said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. If we don't believe that, how could we ever say, he who is within us is greater than he who is in the world? But we believe it, don't we? That good will triumph over evil. That God will triumph over Satan. Didn't he prove it at the tomb? It's foundational. And that's why it's critical, I think, at this time of our history to have that, again, underlined and underscored and deepened in our hearts. Because I promise you this, if you haven't experienced it already as you have begun to try to lean into Christ and mature in Christ, brother, I promise you, the enemy is going to come. And he will try to shut that down. He has to. That's what you do in a war when the enemy advances on your kingdom. Third conviction. Make it clear, know it clear, understand it clearly. Our objective is to destroy evil. Darkness reigns here, 1 John says. (laughs) You don't have to have some preacher tell you that. Every night, it's on every news station, every tabloid paper, it's, it's everywhere. But our objective is to destroy evil with good. Not create it. I um, had the privilege this week of watching a brother just undergo more than I think most men could stand as far as um, being called out. It's a difficult thing for a man to be cursed at. And I got a chance to watch one of my friends just get ripped. Now, he was telling me the story as it was unfolding in his life in the details. And I'm just going, wow, I don't know how you handle that ever. 
And then I watched this man go and speak to a group of other men. And I don't know how he did it. Well, I didn't at the beginning of the week, but as this message began to progress more and more and more, I know now. Because the Spirit's alive in this man. And he's been called to serve in a capacity that challenges him weekly, if not monthly. And he needs your prayers. I hope I'm not out in your Coach Jones. But he needs your prayers. It's a man of God who is standing as best as he can in a place where it's difficult. And he's dealing with pride. And he's dealing with egos. And he's dealing with opinions. But you know what his passion is? To see young men grow up and know Jesus Christ. And I'm just so proud to be a part of Antler Week and see that unfolding. And it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. God will win. Good will win. When the church believes that is our objective, to overcome evil with good. But we've got to be reminded of it. Back in the 1870s in New York City. Ah, I'm looking, okay, we've got five minutes. Remember the story? The Good Samaritan? Dr. King, again, just raised three questions out of that particular text that just stunned me this week. You know the story. Guy's going up from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets robbed. Gets beaten half to death. Well, after that happens, along comes two vocational ministers, a Levite and a priest. Uh, they work for the synagogue and get paid for it. And they don't, they don't dare go by and help this guy at all. But a guy comes by who's the wrong skin color and is a part of the wrong social class of people for the person who's laying in the dirt there. And he stops and he helps him. He stops and he nurses his wounds. He puts him in his own means of transportation. He gets him to an urgent care center, puts down his tab and says, listen, if there's, if there's any more that this guy incurs as far as expenses, it's on me. It's on me. Dr. King says, here's three questions that I want to ask about this, about the robber. He asks this question, what will happen for me if I hurt him? Now, I think every one of us would agree that's evil. What will happen for me if I do something to him and hurt him? That's evil. But he also said, you know what's just as evil? is the priest and the Levite asking this question, what will happen to me if I help him and do nothing? Because it may cost me something. Here's the question that Jesus tries to elevate. What will happen to this man if I don't help him? That's the question the Samaritan asked. And then Dr. King goes on to say this, I really believe that that question is what preceded the manger. And that question preceded the cross. What will happen if I don't help him? Back in the 1870s, New York City was ruled by a man by the name of John Tweed. He 
He was also known as Boss Tweed, and historians agree that his administration was as corrupt as any that's ever existed. In many ways, he was a very powerful man, although a very despised man. And the people in the city decided that they had had enough, finally. (laughs) And there was a campaign directed by some people of New York City to get rid of the strong-arm policies and the politics. But as a campaigning drug on, these crusaders began to feel the power of the machine of politics. And more and more people got weary and they finally quit. And when the election was over, to many disappointment, Boss Tweed had been reelected again. Well, what you're seeing on the screen is the one-line editorial that appeared on the front page of the New York Times. The good people quit being good before the bad people quit being bad. In church, that's how evil triumphs. Evil doesn't win just when we do bad. Evil wins when we do nothing. You're going to be wrong this week. It's going to happen. (laughs) And what are you going to do when you are wronged? If you do nothing, evil wins. But if you do good in return, (laughs) now we're talking a chance for the kingdom to make an advance in this world. I don't know about you, but I have, I've not had much success on cussing people and cussing machines. Hasn't done much to bring more life to me or anybody else around me. But you know what I'm finding? Blessing them instead works better for them and for me. And that's really what we're being called to this month. Father in heaven, we love you. And we know what we're talking about here can't be something that we do in our own strength. We've already talked much about that. But for a moment, we're just going to lift up our voices and we're going to remember that you are the one who's good. You are the one who's great. You are the one who is powerful. And in you and under you, that power can be made manifest in us. And what we want to do, God, is bring our faith to that, that truly peace is a priority, not just for you, but for us. Father, we believe, help our unbelief that truly good can trump evil and we can be a part of it and live to be a legacy of that. Father, our elders, our our school teachers, our administrators, our councilmen, our, our first responders, so many of them deal with difficult people week in and week out. Particularly this morning, I'm going to lift up Coach Jones because I know his heart. I know the people that he works with, the coaches that serve under him. I know their hearts. I know, Father, they're giving themselves and and so many others like him in the school system to try to deal with with less money every year and and more being asked of them. And they, they they run into difficulty every single time they turn around. And we're asking you, would you help them? Would you strengthen them? Would you help them, Father, to return good for the sometimes evil that gets pushed into their faces. And I thank you, Father, for every single believer in Christ who's doing their best to do that, who stood under the avalanche of your grace, and he said, I'm not just going to receive it, I'm going to give it, and at a price. And so, Father, as we celebrate now your goodness and your greatness, would you please move within us to do something through us that would make a difference in our world? For we ask this humbly in Jesus' name, and everybody said, If you want to be a part of this body of Christ and help us turn back the forces of evil and darkness in this 
community, just starting here, and you haven't said yes to Jesus, we'd love to invite you to profess your faith publicly and be baptized into Christ. And if you're my brother or sister, and I'm telling you, you've been hammered, and you just need someone to wrap their arms around you and say, lift your face, come on. This isn't good, but God's promised he will work this for good if you'll just keep trying to be good in this difficult situation. Sometimes I need some people's prayers for me to do that. How about you? Well, this is the time to get some of that right now. Let's stand, church, and let's sing.